Hey, I'm Khaled Egg and I'm a fourth year undergraduate student at Carleton University in the Department of Anthropology. As a part of my fourth year independent research course with Dr. Matthew Hawkins, I embarked on a journey to try to understand the intergenerational experiences of Somali people living in Ottawa. Using an intergenerational scope, I have interviewed three older participants, which I define as 30 and above, and three younger participants, which I define as younger than 30, to gain a deep understanding of the process of placemaking in a part of the world that is different than the one they ethnically originate. On today's episode, I interviewed Saad Ibrahim, a mother of four first-generation Somali Canadians living in Ottawa. In this episode, Sada shares her experiences in immigrating to Canada, raising children in Ottawa, going to school in Ottawa, and working in Ottawa. Sada shares moments where she felt othered because of the color of her skin, her religion, and her culture. From your understanding, what does being Somali mean to you? Being Somali means to me like uh, an identity. So it's a culture, it's an identity, it's basically who I am. When asked how do you identify yourself, do you include your race? I think it depends on the context. So if I am talking to, for example, somebody who might not know like my background, I may say, you know, I am Somali. I have been in Canada this many years mm-hmm. and, and so on and so forth. Okay. So it just depends on who you're talking to and like their understanding of like who you are, right? Exactly. Okay. So when you're talking to, because I know there's a difference between when you're talking to like a Somali person and someone asks you, a Somali person comes to you and says, yeah, Thai, like, you know, I get continued, you know, like mm-hmm. questions like that. Like, what would you say to a Somali person that approached you and asked you, how would you identify yourself in that setting? Oh, I will definitely say I'm from Somaliland. So, you know, that's where I am from. Uh, Somalia, what used to be Somalia, where I grow up, is no longer, you know, cohesive and basically together. There are different states. And so I have no problem identifying the part that I come from, which is uh, Somaliland. I know Somalis in general they identify each other by tribes, right? So would you include your tribe if you're talking to a Somali person? No. I don't like to identify my tribe because I feel if you say I am Somali and then if I am being asked specifically where I come from and I mention, you know, I'm from Somaliland, I don't need to mention my tribe. I'm not a huge fan of, you know, tribal stuff. So I wouldn't be mentioning. If if I am asked, I will challenge that. Have you ever been labeled as something that you don't believe in or completely detest? I don't recall. I mean, I don't recall uh, that I have been labeled a specific stuff personally that I am aware of other than, you know, the labels that are out there, you know, as a, a black woman, as a, a Somali, as a, you know, a feasibly Muslim. Yeah. Uh, there are definitely labels, you know, out there. But in person, I never felt like I am being, you know, labeled specifically on certain things. Do you believe the color of your skin makes you a target for people who don't have the same skin color as you to project their biases and narratives onto you? Absolutely. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that whether it's, you know, whether it's a direct Mm-hmm. Uh, or undirect. There are many times that I felt that, you know, I am being projected on on certain type of prejudice or bias. An example that I can give it to you is my English is not first language. And this, of course, depends on the length 
of the time that I have been in this country. So at the beginning, of course, you know, my language wasn't, uh, you know, as clear. And even today, I still see certain things like when I go somewhere, may say in an office, maybe medical office or something, I'll be talking or trying to ask certain questions and people will raise their voice when they are trying to communicate with me, even though I'm speaking their language. And they will say, pardon me, say that again in a loud voice. And sometimes I have to literally tell them, lower your voice because clearly I'm right here and I can hear you. It was more difficult at the beginning when I, for example, came in this country because, you know, I didn't have the confidence to speak up for myself. And so uh, right now, though, I have the capacity to speak and to challenge you when I notice biases that are directed to me or even directed to people that are around me. You know, there are times that I speak up about certain things like that. A lot of times something that a lot of people don't discuss is for a lot of people who came to the country and didn't know how to speak the language or had like a very low capacity to speak the language, I feel like a lot of it is rooted around like if you don't understand, it's your fault. It becomes easier for people to project their biases onto you. But once you know the language, you're able to defend yourself, you know, and stand up for yourself. Absolutely. And I think that is, in, if I might go back to your previous question that was talking about if I was labeled as something that I wasn't completely, that's not me, for instance. I think people see you when you don't speak the language mm-hmm. or cannot communicate the same level as they are. They see you as somebody who is not smart, who is not intelligent. And that's not the case because, you know, I have seen people who don't necessarily speak the language, but uh, persevere in exams and other things. Like when I was in college, I remember, you know, people who always were on the top of the class were people who were you know, immigrants, immigrants like me, a mother or four kids like me who, you know, did really well and worked really hard to prove mm-hmm. that perceived belief. How often do you walk into a space where you see people that look like you in positions of authority? So this would be like managers, supervisors, bosses. How often do you walk into spaces where you see someone that looks like you? Or this could be like in your like educational days, a teacher or anything like that. I don't think I've seen a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen a lot. And uh, interestingly enough, when we see somebody who, and necessarily from my community, but but even somebody who's black, for example, you feel like, oh, wow, that's amazing. You know, it's like a shared victory. Yeah, absolutely. My cousin recently came to Ottawa and uh, her child goes to a local elementary school. And she was telling me she was so excited to find out that the principal of the school was black. Yeah. And so it's huge in people's minds when they see. And I think it shifts your perspective and gives you strength to believe in yourself and say, you know what, I can be that person. A lot of times you don't really take into account like how important vision is and like seeing things in order mm-hmm. in order to believe that it's possible, you know? So I think that was a very good, important point that you brought up. Tell me about a time where you built a relationship with someone. So this could be a friendship, a working, co-working relationship with someone based on your commonalities. And then a sub-question to that is, do you find it easier to relate to someone from the same background, but a different age group? Or do you find it easier to relate to someone from the same age group, but a different background? 
It's actually something that I often struggle with. In a work environment, I have absolutely no problem, you know, building a relationship with people that I work with. I get along with people, you know, I say hi, I have lunch with them and things like that. But for some reason, it never goes beyond that. And I struggle with that and I question sometimes why. And the reason I question is I'm checking if that's a bias on my side, you know, and it's something that I am aware of, and I'm pretty sure there are reasons for that, you know, and the reason is probably who you feel more comfortable with when you are talking about certain things. And also when I am with coworkers and I pay attention to things that people talk about and then how I can relate to those things Mm -hmm. and how I cannot relate to those conversations. And often maybe, you know, I I feel like, do we share the same jokes? Do we laugh at the same things? Stuff like that. But I often, like I said, check if there is biases in my side. So I am pretty aware of that. And it's not because I dislike other cultures. It's more like comfort sharing things with people that are in kind of like the same culture, like somebody who is from Africa. If it's not Somali, maybe somebody who is from Africa. And we can talk about, oh, you know, which country are you from? I haven't been there, but I would like to visit one day, you know, things like that. Yeah, you touched on something that was really important. In order to make those friendships and those relationships just in general, even if they're working relationships, sometimes there's those barriers we're not really conscious of, right? And I think something that you really discussed was just like your level of consciousness in terms of like, am I able to relate to those people? And like, Mm -hmm. talk about like, do we have the same views on these things? And a lot of times we don't realize how our lived experiences, our upbringing, our culture, you know, our religion, our language, plays a strong impact on the way we see things and the views we have, you know? Absolutely. And the environment that we brought up with, right? And like somebody who grew up in here, like my own kids, might not have some of the things that they have when it comes to, for example, you know, because I grew up in a different environment, especially like early on in my life when I was younger, where I had people who were all, you know, my community and my culture. And that is still something that is strong. It laid the foundation for you, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's super important, right? Because I think something that a lot of like people have discussed recently was the notion of identity. And like mm-hmm. how here, like for a lot of us as first generations, like we have to navigate multiple identities at the same time. And, and for a lot of our parents, it was, you guys had a, a solid identity of growing up, right? Because you guys grew up in the Somali culture. You guys had the Somali experience. You guys, there's the heritage there, right? And, but for us, there's like... The, there's the community. The community, yeah. like we grow up, like the Cassinis of Cassinis and and that full house of people, like that were family. And the second part of that question was, do you find it easier to relate to someone from the same background, but a different age group? Or do you find it easier to relate to someone from the same age group, but a different background? Yeah, definitely somebody who's the same background as a friend, right? So like if I was going to be a friend with somebody who's, you know, I can definitely talk to younger generations. I encourage them. I actually work with youth who are from different backgrounds and different cultures. And I am absolutely inspired by their, you know, diversity and everything. Mm -hmm. And it gives me a lot of strength and knowledge about these young people who are newcomers who are going through the same thing that I went through when I was young. So I have absolutely no problem talking to the young people and 
giving them, you know, tips and <laughs> laughing with them and checking, you know, how they are and things like that. But when it comes to friendship, I always, of course, more towards, you know, people that are my age. But I can, I can definitely talk to, I'm able to relate to both because I also came here as a young person in my early 20s as well. So I've been in Canada longer than I have been back in my country. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I have some, you know, uh, lived experience in this country and in this culture as well. Were you born in Canada? No. Okay. So where were you born? I was born in Somalia. Okay. How long have you been in Canada? I have been in Canada for 29 years. Okay. Any of your family members born in Canada or anywhere outside of Somalia, Somaliland? Only people that were born in my family, for instance, outside of Somaliland or Somalia then when I was there, are my kids, Mm -hmm. my own children. Okay. And they were all born in Canada? They were all born in Canada. How have you come to know what being Black or racialized means? Growing up back home, you know, when I was in elementary school, of course, I learned a little bit more about the history of colonialism and stuff like that. And I kind of learned certain things about Black people. People from Africa were feud in, in, you know, in certain parts of the world. So I, I knew that word existed, Black, and even the N word existed in certain parts of the world. But it, where I grew up, I had absolutely no idea because everybody that was around me was my culture and black. And so that did not exist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came here, my first experience of especially hearing the N-word mm-hmm. is early on when I came to Canada. I was walking and there was a couple of guys that were in a bus station mm-hmm. waiting for a bus, I think. And I was just walking by them. And of course, they called me the N-word. And, you know, I was, I was kind of shocked and and taken back and i and i remember also being on a bus full of people again early on when i came <laughs> when i came to ottawa i just finished my esl school and i was going home and it was during rush hour so the bus was full of people of you know i remember all colors including a black man who was standing right beside me and uh, the guy who was sitting right across I, I wasn't sitting down actually I was standing but there was a man who was sitting near where I was standing and uh, I don't know if he had a mental health issue or anything this guy attacked me and called me all the words in the world including repeatedly the n-word and so those early experiences of coming in this country and in this city, of course, made me realize, you know, the prejudice that exists in this country. And that N-word that I learned when I was in elementary school about people of African descent who were sent to Europe and North America, the words that they used to describe those people are being called on me as well. And so it was dramatic experience, but at least I kind of heard those words before or learned those words before. And so that kind of put me in that uh, kind of perspective where I felt like I'm similar to those people that they described in, in school when I was young. Outside of the context of like people who aren't visibly racialized, there's that gap, right, of that lack of understanding, right? Because they're not in that specific situation. Like they never, mm-hmm. like you've never when you've never been 
you know, in the middle of a, a bus during rush hour, you've never been called the N-word, so you won't understand the way it impacts you. Absolutely. Oh, that, that had a huge impact in me. And I remember being very angry and, you know, very frustrated. And I was even mad about that, you know, growing up in a, in a society where women were protected by, you know, by their family members and even society, especially men protecting, you know, women at times. I was shocked that, uh, you know, that I was being called the N-word and there was a man standing beside me that had the same color and, and didn't even say a word. But <laughs> yeah. I was I was shocked. But uh, these are things that I remember, you know, kind of like 50 still in my in my memories for some reason. How do your experiences being both racialized and an individual from an ethnic minority differ from your children? So like your parents grew up in Somalia, right? And yeah. and they lived in Somalia, but, and your children grew up here, right? How yeah. do your experiences of coming here and being racialized here, how do they differ from your parents? You, Cause you talked about how like, like back home, this concept of race did not exist in the same sense that it exists here. So mm -hmm. how did your parents like, from being in that society, how do your experiences differ from your children who are growing up in the society and grew up in the society and your parents who stayed in, the, in their own country and yeah. didn't experience the same things that you did? Because you're, you're in the middle of both kind of, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, uh, clearly my parents um, didn't know. Uh, and never experienced it, this type of, you know, I don't think they even knew this type of racism or stereotypes or anything like that. Like you said, they grow up in their own society. And for me, I think growing up back home and coming here, you know, as somebody who already had installed values and belief, I'm more resilient when it comes to this type of racism or, or things like that. So, for example, I know who I am. You know, I grow up in my society. I know, you know, where I come from. I know I am not the person, you know, that p these people are describing. You know, I am better than that. I'm, I have value. I have culture. I have family. I have country. <laughs> and so all those things give me strength to withstand anything that those people or somebody else maybe a prejudice sees me as other uses against me i think it, it's more difficult for my children because they grow up in this society and so it's definitely more challenging for them and more difficult for them they experience it a lot of systematic challenges in this country especially in the school systems for a lot of us that are still like growing up and like we're still maturing a lot of our experiences like of socialization and our experiences like when we're not home we're at school right yeah and in between there maybe like when we get a little older we work a little bit majority of our life agent of socialization has been school and so mm -hmm. i think a lot of people they, they don't take into account like how impactful schools are in the process how important is having a community to be a part of it's always absolutely amazing to have a community and to have a community that understands you a community that had the same experiences as you and is going through some of the challenges that you are going through and and went through you know as a newcomer to this uh, country as somebody who was a refugee somebody who left their country and their family and everything they knew and 
went through a lot and experienced a lot and came in here and also went through a lot of you know challenges so it's absolutely fantastic to have a community that shares those same experiences it's also i think we all want to belong yeah. somewhere right i tried hard and i do try hard to make sure you know i engage in the communities that are around me that i live in that are you know my local communities and to participate and volunteer and to be part of it because i live here you know this is where i spent most of my life so far this is where my family my children are and this is their home and uh, has been my home even though sometimes i'm so conflicted when i'm talking about home it's definitely um important to have community and mm-hmm. uh, whether it's like i said that community that has the shared experience and values and what not or communities that that not necessarily have the shared experience but also you know where you are residing now and where you live so those are very very good points from what i'm understanding is like you discussed basically that it's very important to have a community to be a part of it simplifies the experience of like space creation you come into a specific space you see somalis there you feel more comfortable do you feel like having a community to be a part of it simplifies the process of like space creation or do you feel like it complicates it and like space creation can be understood in like terms of like there's tons of ways we create space so, like essentially it'd be like in the community centers it'd be like in in Masjids and mosques, right? It'd be, and be you know Somali restaurants, like those things. Do you feel like having those spaces? Because as much as they have a purpose, they're still community hubs. They're where the community comes and goes, like the Somali stores, like all those places are where like community kind of happens on a constant basis. And so, do you think that like having those spaces and having those community hubs to go to simplifies the process of space creation, or does it complicate it? No, it absolutely simplifies, and it's absolutely very very important part of our community because if we don't have those uh, spaces i don't think some of us especially those of us who immigrated to this country or came as refugees and have been living in this country or even the people who are coming now you know as new immigrants i don't think they will feel more welcoming Mm-hmm. Uh, or more connected and sense of being home without having those places without having a restaurant that they say oh that restaurant belongs to my community or mosque you know these are extremely important part of integration and sense of feeling you know uh, home and building connections with your own community you can create like a home away from home because you know home is going to be back home regardless but we found ways in these urban settings in these cities to create our own spaces and like to get a sense of home and to get a feeling of home you know a lot of my research has been like discussing like about like how like home is like not this rigid thing where like it's necessarily like your four walls in your house but it's more so like sometimes it's I mean, it is that, but it can also be extended beyond that. Like, if you have a sense of community, right, and you have the Somali community, for example, like home is wherever your people are, right, and and yeah. home is wherever like you guys have the same language or you guys are eating the same food, like those things, and those things can exist outside of the country, right? Absolutely, and they, like you said, they can exist outside of your four walls, you know, inside your home. And I'll give you an example. Like, for example, when I was attending college, I remember in being in school all day and having a place to pray 
that was extremely important. Mm-hmm. I was so appreciative of the fact that we had a space like that where we, you know, prayed and sometimes during break, I used to, especially during Ramadan, in between classes, I used to go there and, and sleep there because I was, of course, tired and, and had no energy to walk around. And and so having those spaces are extremely important and, and it makes it easy for us as a society and as, as a community mm-hmm. to, to have those spaces, you know. Do you walk into spaces where you feel welcomed or celebrated? And if so, describe these spaces, like who's in these spaces, where are these spaces, how often do you go? I mean, it depends. For example, if I talk about my workspace, like where I work, mm-hmm. where, you know, I feel like, you know, people are nice and welcoming and they will say, hey, Sado, you know, they will say my name and smile at me. And so those spaces definitely exist. When it comes to my community, I remember going to this event. I wasn't personally celebrated, but I can see the community celebrating together. It was organized by Sharmarka Abdullahi and other young community leaders. Oh, yes. It used to take place at Centerpoint Theater. It was a cultural night, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I used to go there all the time, even though it was mainly for young people. Yeah. I used to go there because I want to celebrate with them. I want to be there. And yeah. and I felt like happy and joy to yeah. see that, you know. And so I think it's not necessarily an individual celebration. It's like celebrating with the community and celebrating. And there are many other times that, that I have been in those spaces, whether it's, you know, community gathering, community meeting, or even going to a cultural wedding or mm. gathering with friends, going to a friend's house with friends and with family members to eat together and to talk. What I'm getting from you is that like you go where the community is being there, seeing it, experiencing it. And then after you feel like the communal sense of celebration, that shared experience is like where the celebration happens. Okay. And I'm feeling that sense of community and mm-hmm. belonging. Yeah, exactly. That's how you create your sense of belonging, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those are like extremely important because those places are like are places where like, you have the intergenerational experiences, right? You have the younger people, the older people, the middle-aged people all coming together at, at a specific space. That's where kind of like the, the culture is vibrant. And that's where like our experiences are vibrant. And that's where like we remember, reflect back on. We're like, hey, remember that one night where we all did this one thing and that was our sense of community, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What role does your ability to proficiently speak English play in your ability to socialize with the younger generation? So your English is perfect. Do you feel like that makes it easier for you to work with youth? Do you feel like that makes it easier to work with younger individuals or communicate with younger individuals? Absolutely. Yeah, it will be great to also speak my language to them. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a sad thing. Sometimes it's a, it's a challenge for me because my kids speak English and barely speak Somali. And uh, I think one of the fears that they had early on is that I did not want them to experience the same challenges that they had 
coming to a new country and not speaking the language and the struggles that I went through, not learning the language, a new language. I did not reinforce the Somali language in my own house when my kids were younger, right? So I feel often guilty about that. But speaking the language that they speak makes it easy for me to communicate with them, to socialize with them, and definitely to work with youth as well. It's also a survival tactic, right? In Western countries in North America, English is, most jobs won't consider you if you don't speak English. And I think what I'm getting is that you wanted to ensure that your children had the best possible chance at achieving whatever they wanted to achieve. And so you understood that English is a requirement. Yeah, 100%. And I remember, I remember even, you know, friends suggesting, oh, you should put them in French too. And I was like, oh, I, I don't speak French. So who's going to help them with homework if I speak <laughs> French? You know, for them to, to learn the language and to succeed in school was extremely important for me. And I believed that if I teach them Somali, it might confuse them. They may go through the same, you know, challenges that they went through. So it wasn't true, I think when I look back, they could learn both languages, but it was just this fear that they had because I went through it when I came to this country. You know, there's times where like you're thinking in Somali, right? Like it's just sometimes we naturally just think in different languages. When we think in Somali, there's specific words that you can't directly translate to English. You know what I mean? There's specific emotions. There's specific things that you can't directly translate or don't correlate directly to English. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like there, there can be a little bit of like, confusion. I speak fluently in Somali, but like when I'm talking to like my non-Somali friends and I'm trying to explain something to them from our culture, they don't understand because there's a the gap, right? You can't directly translate from Somali. Yeah. English, right? And so sometimes like I get what you're talking about. Sometimes like when you're thinking and like you're talking, you're trying to communicate, it's like you, it's like a switch you have to flick on and off. 100%. Absolutely. Considering you spend or spent a large majority of your time away from home for work or education, do you generally feel like you belong in those spaces? I know you discussed how your coworkers call you by your first name and like you feel welcome at work. Do you guys have any subspaces that like because I know the work environment, all your coworkers, and you have like a, a core group of coworkers that you're friends with. Who's within those spaces? What do you guys have in common? And so on. When it comes to work, I think I make sure, you know, it's specifically for professional. And, and any friendship that they make there... I make sure it's professional. You know, there are definitely people that you become friends with. It's mainly professional. The language, the way I conduct my myself, it's it's very professional. I, you know, make sure I don't cross any boundaries that are not professional. So it's those spaces, like I mentioned earlier, for sure, I do experience it, some of them, but they were not necessarily the people that I directly work with. So for instance few times there were people that were working in the same, for example, organization that I not necessarily know directly, but I can see it because I run into them often in the hallways and places. And when I say hello, they may never say hi back. And, you know, at first time I will say, hmm, maybe they didn't hear me or maybe, you know, they had something in their mind or something. And then the next time maybe I'll see the same person or, you know, and then I will say hi and that person will not talk back or will not say hi back or not return and mm -hmm. the hi I, I, or something like that. And then I will realize, oh, you know, maybe this person is doesn't want to talk to me. 
Mm-hmm. And and so that gives you this strange feeling because I like to say hi to people and I like to smile and, and I like to make sure, you know, everybody is welcome. And, you know, I'm one of those people that if, you know, somebody is new to work or, or in an environment where I am, I make sure that they feel welcome and supported. And I ask them, oh, let me know if you need any help, you know, things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And I expect sometimes, you know, people to to do the same yeah. uh, because we see each other often. Like you say, I spend a lot of time being around each other. Right. But I also understand that they are not obligated to do that. Right. And not everybody feels like they wanted to say hi or, or socialize with the people that they work with. So I don't take it personal if I come across things like that. Of course, you know, it changed the mood. And next time I see that person, I'm not going to necessarily say hi because, you know, they don't want to speak to me. One thing I appreciate was how you discussed you want to make others feel comfortable, right? And I think like a portion of it is also understanding that some people just only at work to work and they don't want to make any friendships or maybe they just are not, you know, some people have biases, some people have, there's so many things to unpack and sometimes it's just best to just be like, you know what, it is what it is, you know? Absolutely. And also other example is when you go to the lunchroom, for example, and, you know, you see people sitting all together. And of course, a lot of these people, you you know them, you work with them, maybe different departments. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I, you want to look around and and sit with the person that you you are more like close to or or felt like you know they are more welcoming and you know uh things like that so so yeah it's absolutely funny when i look back certain things we don't show it you know we don't outwardly show that hey we're looking to to interact with this individual this individual but it's more just like intrinsic it's sometimes inside and we just like it's just a part of like human nature like we just we, we want to socialize, we're social creatures, we want to talk to people, we want to get to know people, we want to, you know, when we're at work, we want to, we don't want to feel isolated, but we also don't want, or maybe if we have felt isolated, we don't want others to feel isolated. So we want to make the, take the extra step to ensure that people feel welcome as well, you know, and so there's always that constant dynamic that's at play. You discussed how, like, your concept of home is more based in Somaliland, but when you think about home, what comes to mind? So if you could, please provide a descriptive analysis of what you think about when you're asked about home. Generally, when I think about home, I see it as a place where you feel comfortable, you feel safe, you feel belong, a secret place where, you know, that's welcoming and safe, all those things. And I do have, of course, some of those things in here, a lot of those things actually in here. For example, when I am here in Canada, um, I always think about, you know, home, back home, where I come from, right? <laughs> For some reason. And when I'm talking about like home, where I identify more with, where I'm related to culturally, where most of my family is, even though, of course, my children are here, most of my family are back in Somaliland. And, you know, they have their extended their kids everybody's there so I have all this big family back home that when I go back home I feel you know oh my god you know I miss everybody in here you know but then of course you know when I feel certain things being away uh, so many years and living here in Canada there are 
lot of things that I feel like, you know, I different from uh, back home, certain things that I kind of developed while I am in here. And so there is this kind of um, conflicting feeling when I go back home. And then I think about where is home? Is it back in Canada or it's back in yeah. <laughs> in Somaliland, right? And so that's when I'm thinking about where exactly my home is. And the reason I feel more like home, because now I often tell my kids, for example, I'm going back home, guys. So, you yeah. know, as soon as everybody finishes their education and you are independent and able to support yourself, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, why do you want to go back home? I'm like, well, I don't know. I feel like that's that's where I wanted to be, right? Yeah. And that that's happening as I grow older, right? Mm-hmm. And so so it, it's kind of funny feeling for me. Sometimes I even question myself. I feel like, where is that coming from? And I think it's, as we mentioned before, a place that you have, you have uh, commonalities and, you know, people that care about you. And one of the other reasons that I wanted to go back home often is also to support people and communities and, and contribute as well. The concept of home is not so rigid. It's not something that's like very specific, but I think what I'm getting is that like home is always going to be where you don't feel like you have to perform. You don't have to be something or someone that you're not. You can comfort yeah. yourself and like you're going to be celebrated, you're going to be welcomed. You you don't have to try too hard to feel like you're at home. And I also think too, it's like in terms of like staying here, like I think a lot of our parents and a lot of like the older generations understood that they came here for a purpose, you know? Yeah. And like a lot of it was to like give like our the children, like us, a better shot at life, better opportunities, right? And I think for a lot of parents, once they realize that their children are okay and they're doing well and like like you said, like they, they're able to take care of themselves and like they're okay, your job is done, you know? Yeah. And they'll and it's now it's their turn to take care of you, right? So Yeah. Absolutely. I don't I don't even think about <laughs> I don't even think about them taking care of me. I never even talked to them about that. I, I never said, you know, you guys need to take care of me. Yeah. I, I, I think because I'm you know, I have been independent and you know, that's that's not something that I even think about. But uh, culturally, obviously, it's there, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, we take care of our parents, you know, and we make sure that, the, you know, we support them. So that's not something that I will say no to when it gets to that point. Yeah. But I don't know. I just tell them often, you know, I'm just preparing them because, inshallah, mm-hmm. that is my plan. Uh, in the near future that I wanted to go back and settle there. And one of the biggest reasons is, is because my kids were born in here, they grow up in here, even though we haven't had a deep discussion about, you know, how how they feel or what is really home means to them, because they could be also conflicted, right? Because we talk about this other home. Their yeah. parents talk about this other home that they belong to. So I can imagine young people being, you know, kind of also conflicted when it comes to home. And so I never had a deep discussion with them about that. But one of the things, one of my plans is if I go back, I can invite them to visit me there so that they can also get to know their culture, get to know their heritage, and also meet hopefully their extended family. And unless they have a place that they feel, you know, home, 
a space, you know, that they can stay and sleep and, you know, feel home, they won't be able to have that. It will be just go there, visit, and then run back. But if I settle and I build a home and I, you know, live there for a while, at least, you know, I can create that space for them. And then that will allow them Uh, or give them the opportunity to also get curious and get to know their people more and, you know, maybe say, you know, I I have two homes like me. exactly. In this episode, Sather reflected upon important experiences which have shaped her understanding of where she is in the world. At various points in this episode, Sather reflected upon her understanding of home which ultimately highlighted the challenges involved in settling and reorienting oneself in a different part of the world than the one that she came to know.